joy to the world. Amen? Yeah. So pray with me. Father God, teach us now about this joy. Teach us about what real joy is, where it comes from. We, uh, Father, we thank you for Kerry. We thank you for his friendship. We thank you for him being a person of faith who has come to discover faith in Christ and the reality of his new life in Christ. So we pray for Kerry over in Tanzania. We thank you that he's very much a part of our family. He's a part of the family of God, a part very much of the Seacoast family. Thank you for him. We pray for him. And Father, we pray that as we study together the Christmas story over the next four weeks, we pray that you would bring it alive to us. And especially, Father, help us understand why it addresses the more basic needs of the human heart, whether we live in Tanzania or in Congo or Rwanda or whether we live in Syria or whether we're a refugee from Syria or whether we are here in Southern California looking at the ocean, enjoying the weather, and very, very blessed. We pray that you teach us about the heart and its needs and about how your gift meets those needs. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. You know, in recent weeks, with all the events in Paris and around the world and ISIS and everything else, uh, this is the time in which I think a lot of people in our culture, especially if you live in Europe, uh, but also if you're right here in Southern California, I bump into more and more people who ask me questions like, you know, Dale, where in the world, where in the world is the world headed? You know, and what's, what's ahead for planet Earth? And how do we deal with all this tension and crisis and conflict that seems to more and more define where we are? And as I thought about that and thought about the Christmas series that we're launching into, it, it, it made me realize that there are certain needs of the human heart that we all have. No matter what culture you live in, what country you live in, there are needs of the human heart that we return to, especially in times of stress. I went back and looked up some uh, information that I gathered right after our country went through a similar crisis at 9-11. Because after 9-11, we were at kind of a high peak of anxiety as we approached that Christmas series right after 9-11. And in the months following 9-11, I mean, our culture was shaken. It was rattled. The economy was down. People were depressed. Many businesses were reflecting a dramatic drop in sales. Remember, everything was down, right? wrong there was one consulting firm that took a look at the economy during the the months and the year after 9-11 and here's what they found yes most things were dramatically down but betty crocker cake mix sales were up to a 10-year high did you catch that milton bradley board games okay can you picture those milton bradley board games were up the year after 9-11 38%. And the sale of religious books, including Bibles, set all-time records. And what this uh, social commentator was saying was that in times of crisis, when people are kind of rattled in terms of the roots of their stability in a culture, he says uh, at times like that, people do what this social... Uh, commentator called recentering. They look for things that they center their lives around that kind of remind them of what they most appreciate. And in the article, he says Americans after 9-11, and I suspect the same thing will be happening in France right now and in other countries, uh, are coming home, staying home, baking cakes, playing games together with family, 
as they try to kind of focus life on what really matters. See, when times are tough and spirits are down, people turn to family, they turn to faith, and family, faith, and a little extra chocolate cake with ice cream never hurt. Amen? You bet. The culture may call it recentering, but what we're talking about are coming back to what are the basics of life. And what are these basics? And as you look at Scripture, we began to realize that as you approach the Christmas story and the coming of Jesus Christ to earth and the birth of Christ and the gift of Christ, that Christ in that gift really speaks into each of these basic needs of the human heart. They're summarized for us in Scripture itself in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, when the Apostle Paul says, when I approach life, three things really matter, or three things, three, three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. That's the summary. I read an article by another pastor that said this. He said, everyone, if you want to make life work, needs three things. You need faith, that is something to believe that's really true. You need hope, something to dream that you can look forward to. And you need love, someone who cares that you know will never leave you. That's a great summary of the essence of life. I would add to that a fourth one, which is the word peace. But a peace that is true, even not so much the absence of conflict, but in the midst of conflict, can you have a sense of peace? So we're going to be talking about faith, hope, love, peace, and how all of those work together to provide what we're going to call joy for and to the world. Okay? So pray with me as we launch into the meat of this now, as we study God's Word together. Go to John chapter 1. Father God, teach us from your Word. Thanks for the fact that you want to address the most basic needs of the human heart. Thank you that they're true for Carrie in Tanzania. They're true for Cole and for me and for every one of us here. This morning, Father, especially help us drill down on this topic of faith. Teach us what it is, why it's important, and how the coming of Jesus Christ speaks to that. That's my prayer in Christ's name. Amen. So as I thought about talking about starting the series, where do you go for the Christmas story? You can go to Matthew, you can go to Mark, you can go to Luke. I chose John. Here's why. John is the gospel of faith. John is the gospel where 33 times in the book he uses the word or synonyms for the word believe, believe, believe. In other words, have faith, have faith, have faith. In fact, John is the unique gospel that in the end of the book, John tells us, Why, of course, under the inspiration of God, he chose what he chose for his gospel. Because every gospel is a little different, right? They're all true. They're all reflections of the life of Jesus Christ. But John's is kind of unique. And John tells us why. So keep your finger in John chapter 1. That's where we'll spend most of our time today. But open your Bibles back to John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. We're going to see why John is so unique and why I chose him for today's topic of faith. Here it is, John 20, verse 30. Therefore, John writes, many other miracles or signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. There's a lot more I could have written, John says. A lot of things that happened that Jesus did, even miracles that he did that that I'm not going to write about or put in the book. Why? John says this. He says, but these have been written. 
So that, here's purpose, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, is the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Period. You see, what John is saying is, I chose what I chose as God led me to write this gospel, this story of Jesus. I chose the part that I think is most central to you understanding who Jesus is and why you should put your faith in Him. And in doing so, you're going to have life in His name. You're going to experience the life Christ wants you to have. Now that kind of helps me understand why, now go back to John chapter 1, that as we study this book, we're going to see that this is the gospel of belief. This is the gospel of faith. This gospel is written to nurture and clarify and then strengthen this thing in our life called faith or belief or to believe, if you put it in the form of a verb. That's what it's all about. Now let's talk about faith a little bit, okay? Number one, faith is a universal need. I've given you an outline. If you want to take a few notes, you can follow along. I'll pop some other stuff up on the screens in a minute. But faith is a universal need. Pascal, the philosopher, said this, and world-class mathematician. He said, there is a God-sized vacuum in the heart of every man. In other words, we are wired to try to understand and have a relationship with God. We are spiritual beings created in the image of God, and there is that God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that calls out for faith. Even in today's culture and society, uh, where often faith is belittled or put down, we find that belief in God is not uh, something that people have abandoned. Uh, I read a couple surveys this week, one by the Pew Institute, comparing how Americans think about God and about faith, comparing the last uh, seven years and what's changed. I read a, a Gallup study comparing the last 20 years, another Pew study. And let me just kind of condense those into a few little facts to show you that people are starving to know what to believe. In terms of belief in God, belief in God is down uh, from seven years ago, but only very slightly. It, seven years ago, it was at 92% of people said, yeah, I believe in God. So your neighbors, your friends do believe in God. It's down to 89% instead of 92. A fairly small drop statistically. But then other things began to show me that even though our culture believes in God in general and spirituality even more so than that, that our, our confidence... Uh, or our, the strength of that faith in what we believe is declining. For example, the same survey asked people, is your belief in God absolutely certain? Seven years ago, 71% said yes. Uh, today, it's down to 63%. That's a pretty big drop. That's a drop of more than 10% in just seven years. Have gone from, yeah, I believe in God. Are you absolutely certain? Uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of that going on in our culture. Confidence in our faith is indeed dropping. Another survey, for example, uh, that asked people to categorize their faith. Okay, are you like a, a uh, would you call yourself a Protestant Christian or are you a Roman Catholic or, or are you Jewish or are you Muslim or, 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 or what are you? Are you Hindu? It asked all the different major religions. And then it had a category for atheist or agnostic. 
And then it had a, a category that they just labeled none. Now, this is not none as in N-U-N, okay? We're not talking that form of nuns, okay? We're talking none as in N-O-N-E. In other words, I'm kind of like none of the above. I'm not an atheist, but I'm also not a Protestant. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Muslim. I just don't know what to believe. I'm just none of the above. That category is the fastest growing category in the American culture statistically those who marked uh, protestant or christian went from 57 percent to 47 percent that's a 10 point drop in seven years those who marked none went from eight percent to 16 percent if you combine that with those who marked atheist or agnostic 23 percent of our american culture nearly one in four of our neighbors and friends would say, you know something, I either don't believe in God or I'm probably, I kind of believe in God, but I'm not sure what in the world he's like, or I'm just kind of in neutral spiritually. So they want to believe in God. Spirituality is important and even growing in our culture, but yet there's no sense of certainty. There's no sense of confidence there's, there's a weakening sense of, yeah, I know what I believe, and I believe it strongly. And I really believe that when we talk about faith today, that's what makes life work. Is number one, clarity of faith. I know what I believe. And also, strength of faith. I believe it strongly, and I have a reason to believe it strongly. So we're going to talk about that some today. But first, I just wanted you to see that, guess what? Faith is not something that people are no longer interested in. There's a high interest in faith, even if certainty is declining. That's the summary of point one. All right. So secondly, what about the search for faith? Well, it's often misunderstood. When people hear the word faith in our culture, they misunderstand it. So before we study it, you need to understand that out there, people in the culture often hear something that you don't mean to, in, to communicate when you say, I'm a person of faith. Our culture often believes that to say you're a person of faith means that you believe in fables that give your life meaning, not facts. But we believe that the Christian faith, and if you study the Scriptures, God has no interest in people having a faith that's grounded in nothing. Our culture often thinks that faith is about religious myths that, uh, that help us understand what we could never understand. So it, it just gives us something to cling to because you kind of need something even if it's not true. But that's not what we mean by faith. Most Americans think that faith is a blind leap of faith in which you turn off your brain and your intellect. And whether something's true or not, you just kind of need some spirituality kind of stirred in, mixed into life. So how do we think about faith? Let me give you three statements that may help you understand faith that has the potential to really be a foundation for for life. Number one, faith is not a blind leap in the dark, but according to John, it's a choice to walk in the light. It's not a blind leap in the dark. It's a choice to walk in the light that God provides. So let me show you. For example, let's pick up John chapter 1 now and just notice the first few verses, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word. Now, later on it says the Word, verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. So when John uses the phrase the Word with a capital W, who's he talking about? Jesus. 
So just plug Jesus in when you read that. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So that's different. So now Jesus is not only with God, Jesus was God. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit make up the one true God. So Jesus was fully God. He was, verse 2, in the beginning with God. So Jesus' life doesn't begin at Christmas. It doesn't begin when he comes in the manger scene and is born as a baby. Jesus was around through eternity is what he's saying. He is in the beginning with God. All things, verse 3, came into being through him, through Jesus. And apart from him, nothing came to be that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And light shines in the darkness but yet the darkness didn't comprehend it, didn't believe in it. Down in verse 9 he says, And there was the true light which coming into the world, that's Christmas, enlightens every man. So what he's showing us is, look, God says, I don't want you to take a blind leap of some type of faith off a cliff into nothing just because you need to believe something i don't want that i want you to take a walk or a step toward light when you feel like you're probing in the dark you're not asked to just jump off a dark cliff that's not faith faith is seeing the light that jesus christ provides let me turn the light on this is true this is the truth about God, and then choosing to walk in that light. That's what we mean by faith. Number two, therefore, faith is not just a verb, but it's also a noun. The culture gets confused on this sometimes. See, the culture often says, you know, as long as you believe anything, we all need a little faith. And the culture usually uses that as a verb. We all just kind of need to be believing in something in order to make life work. But that's not what the Scriptures say. Faith is important not only as a verb, but also as a noun. In other words, it is what I believe and whether I choose to believe it or trust it. It's both. So as a, as a noun, we all and everyone has a, quote, faith. In other words, it, it's a body of information, some truth that we say, I believe this is true when I think about God. So we all have a faith that we hold to. Uh, a, this body of, of our, 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 our view of God and life and, and sin and forgiveness and all of that makes up our faith. Are you a person of faith or not? Say, so why well, have a faith? But then secondly, whether you have a faith or not, there's the question of, is, can, do you walk by faith? In other words, how strong of a faith is that? Uh, and then we're talking about faith as a verb. You can have a strong faith, a weak faith, an active faith, an inactive faith, uh, because no matter what I say I believe, am I living in response to that because I'm trusting in it? That's what I mean by faith as a verb. We see both in play in Scripture. Look at John 1.14 since we're playing today and, and probing into John's coming of Jesus story 114 here's how John describes Christmas the word became flesh this word that was from the beginning with God and was God and and created the universe and everything else this word became flesh and dwelt among us 
And we saw His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now jump to verse 18. Verse 18, 118. Now, no one has seen God at any time. People don't see God. He's, you can't see Him, but you know He's there. The only begotten of God, meaning the Word, Jesus, who was in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So the purpose of Jesus coming to earth, dwelling among us, taking on human flesh, living, walking, talking, teaching, doing miracles, was to show us, explain to us the truth that we believe in. I think this is why John, by the way, focused so much. In John 1, you know, John wasn't led by God to record, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all the details. No shepherds, no wise men, no mangers, no Herod, no historical events of the coming of Jesus because John wanted you to know, but what is it about this Jesus that should cause you to believe? What is this that you need to place your faith in? You don't put your faith in all the details of the Christmas story. You want to place your faith in the, in the truth about Jesus. So John, man, he just goes right in on a truth telling about Jesus. Which leads to the third observation about faith. And then we'll, we'll see what we learn from John. And that is this. Faith gives me confidence and conviction as to things I cannot see but yet dare not deny. Let me say that again. Faith uh, is the confidence and the conviction. It's the trust that I place in what I believe. It's my confidence and conviction as to things I can't see. And it's okay to admit that there are things that exist that we cannot see. I mean, good grief, even in the physical world, uh, think of some things that you know exist that you can't see. What would they be? Just help me out. Wind? Okay, yeah, you see the dust in the wind, but you can't really see the wind, but you know it's there. What else? Electricity. electricity. Yeah, you can't really, I guess you can't really see electricity. Maybe if you put it in one of those little gadgets where it's, you know, whatever. But okay, what else? Time? Tides? Gravity. I like that one. I, was, I, would, yeah, I like gravity. Gravity is very real, right? I mean, you kind of know. Is it undeniable that gravity exists? Yes or no? Yeah, if not, man, we'd be one floating congregation right now. <laughs> be kind of cool, wouldn't it, in a way? But, uh, yeah, so gravity definitely exists. Jump off building to test it if you want to. Now, you can say, I don't believe in gravity because I can't see it. No one's been able to measure it or see it or whatever. So I, I don't see gravity. But if you, if, even if you strongly believe in anti-gravity and you jump off the building, um, what happens? You learn that gravity exists for just a few seconds. And then you're gone. And the consequences of not believing in gravity are serious if you jump off a tall building. So... We, we know these things are true, but you can't always see them. And what I love is what Hebrews 11 says. So keep your finger in John, flip back to the book of Hebrews, and mark this verse if you've got your Bible. I love marking mine up. Put a box around this one years ago because it helps me define faith. Here it is. 
Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So they're things you haven't experienced yet. They're in the future. You know, I hope for my forgiveness in my eternal life, but I haven't experienced that yet. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. It's a great definition of what faith deals with. And all of us, if you're going to live life and live life to the fullest, we need a basis, a strong basis for the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that we do not see, but yet we dare not deny. And that's where I place my faith in God, my faith in Christ. The Apostle John literally walked and talked with Jesus. There's no doubt historically Jesus lived, He died. Evidence for His resurrection is huge. But Jesus and John had a relationship. John had something that you and I don't have. You know, He got to walk with Him, talk with Him, sit around the campfire with Him. He unfortunately watched Him die, but He later went to the tomb and saw the empty grave cloths in the shape of a body with no body inside of them. He saw the resurrected Jesus. He interacted with the resurrected Jesus on the beach. He walked and talked with Jesus when He was alive and Jesus in His resurrected body. So John's faith was based in that. But then he says, Blessed are you who believe, yet never see. And that's why when the Scriptures say, John said, when I wrote my Gospel, I recorded what I believe would help you understand so that you can believe uh, in order to believe. 33 times in the Gospel, he uses synonyms for the word believe. That's his message. Believe and you will have eternal life. But he wanted us to know what it was we were placing our faith in. So as John wrote the life of Jesus, he begins actually even earlier than Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And this is a summary, a quick hit summary of what we learn about the object of our faith. What is it that we believe as Christians based out of John and based out of his explanation of the coming of Jesus? Let me give them to you. Here we go. Number one, he explains God as never before. God wanted to be understandable. God wanted to be explained to you and me. And that's why in John 1.14, he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we would see, we saw His glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's two tips. That God is a God of grace, God is a God of truth. Verse 18 tells us the next step. No one has seen God at any time. Yeah, you don't see God. But does that mean you don't believe in Him? No, because the only begotten Son of God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained God to us. Jesus is the explanation of God. Pure and simple. So we understand God as never before. We understand that God, like Jesus, when Jesus was described by John in just two words, the two words chosen was full of grace, full of truth. He doesn't say... Um, he was a man of grace and truth. He says he was full of both. I love that because most of the time in my life, I can be pretty full of one or pretty full of the other, but usually I don't do a good job being full of both consistently all the time. You know, sometimes I'm just in the mood to be gracious. 
And some of you are grace-oriented people. Mercy, grace, forgiveness. You're really quick to give that to people. Uh, Other people are truth people. And truth people I know, they just have a deep conviction that you know something, whether you like it or not, you need to hear the truth. And I want to tell you the truth whether you like it or not. So sometimes I'm in the mood just to give you a dose of truth. Other times I'm just in the mood to give you a dose of grace. Jesus, even in his most stressful moments, he consistently just blended both. Remember the time Jesus was asked, uh, hey, you know, this woman was caught in adultery and... uh, so what does the law say? Should we stone her? You know, and the Jewish law gave permission to stone this lady. So Jesus was not going to go against the law, but yet he blends this incredible mercy and love and grace. And he says, all right, so he who is without sin cast the first stone. Boom, he had him. Eventually they start walking away. Jesus gave her mercy, gave her grace, gave her love, rescued this woman. Uh, but then he also gave her truth. You know, he said, you know, Don't do this again. Go and sin no more. I forgive you. But change. For heaven's sakes, don't go back to your old life. You're wrecking your life. So Jesus was good at confronting sin honestly and calling it what it was. But he also was full of grace and truth. And that's what we learn about God. We learn that our God is a God who never lies to us, always tells us truth, but always has given us love and grace and in fact one reason he tells us the truth is love speaks truth we learn that god is a god of grace and truth you see the glory of god in jesus number two it explains the source of life as never before you want to you want to know where things come from here it is in the beginning was the word verse one the word was with god and the word was god He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, through Jesus Christ. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. Life had to start somewhere. Life is sourced in the living God. Life is sourced in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, John is not concerned with systems of creation. He doesn't explain how God did it. He's not concerned with the sequence of creation as Genesis does even as it gives us kind of a a rough sequence of creation. He's not concerned with sequence. He's not concerned with systems. He's concerned with source. And I would say today that you can hold any view you want to have of how this thing called our universe came into existence. You can hold to the Big Bang, you can hold to multiple Big Bangs, you can hold to this or that, but one thing that you got to believe if you turn your brain on is that something doesn't come from nothing. Life needs a source. And either you've got to believe that life itself is eternal, which does not make intellectual sense, or at some point there was a beginning. Genesis says, in the beginning, God created. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning, God created. So don't get so hung up on trying to figure out the integration of the science and the integration of the systems and the sequence and the age and everything else. Don't this Christmas miss the big message that Jesus Christ says, I'm the source of life. If you have life, if you breathe, 
It's because I gave you life. Period. I'll figure out the rest of the systems and the, and the sequencing later on. But if you deny Him as the source, I believe you're running counter to even what your own intellect would encourage you to realize. It has to come from somewhere. God says, I'm the source of life. God says, I'm the source of light in verse 5 and 9. I've read them already, but look at it again. And the light, it says, Jesus was the life, verse 4, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness refused it. It didn't believe in it. did not comprehend it. Jesus is the source of light as never before. He came to enlighten us. Verse 9 says, and this light enlightens every man. So the source of understanding God is rooted in the coming of Jesus Christ that first Christmas because God was fleshed out so that He could communicate God to us more clearly, knowing that was the best way to communicate to humanity. So He's the source of life, He's the source of light, and then finally, He's the personal invitation. Verse 12, But as many as received Him, synonym for belief, to Him He gave the right to become children of God. So, you know, the source, there's this personal invitation that Christmas is all about understanding who God is, understanding what life is, understanding where, what the truth or the light is, and then walking, placing your faith in what is revealed to us about the God of the universe and revealed to us about Jesus Christ. And we begin, but he, then he says, but you got a choice because everyone's got to believe in something. Either you believe in yourself or you believe in some other faith or you believe in this view of God or you believe God doesn't exist at all. But you know some Jesus says, if you receive me, if you place your faith in me, I give you the right to become a child of God. And he goes on, by the way, to explain it's not by blood. In other words, it's not because your parents were Christians, so therefore you're a Christian because you were born as a little baby into a Christian family. doesn't work that way. It was a common misunderstanding in the Jewish culture was that I was born a Jew and therefore I'm automatically a part of the Jewish faith. And, and the reality is, you know, there, there still needs to be that personal decision. You've got to decide what you believe, not what your parents believed. And Jesus says, as many as receive me, as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name, believe in who he is and what he did. It's by faith that we receive life. Last but not least, He then offers us new life as children of God. He lets you be one of His kids. Incredible. Incredible. So this year, as we work our way through this incredible story of the coming of Jesus and His birth as a baby, let's begin with learning that life is rooted and a joy in life, a joy that isn't linked to whether or not conflicts go away, a joy that can be yours no matter what's happening in, you know, in terms of the circumstances of life. That type of peace and joy has to be rooted, has to be founded, has to be held up with a foundation of a clear faith that knows what you believe and a strong faith that holds it with conviction. 
that's the beginning of real joy. Because your circumstances in life one day will be really happy, other days they'll be really crappy. I didn't mean to rhyme that like that, but anyway, but it does. But the reality is, whichever way it is, your joy is not based in what's happening. Happiness is in what's happening. But joy has got to be rooted in a faith in Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for the reality of the faith that you give us, that you've revealed to us in the coming of Jesus. Thank you for your revelation of truth, lived out, fleshed out, not only in your written word, but in the uh, living Son of God. Thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt with us, taught us, did his miracles so that all could see and record them died for our sins in a public way, rose from the dead to prove that it worked. And Father, this morning, if we have any friends here this morning that would say, you know, I think it's time for me to make a choice. I, I choose to believe in Jesus. Then would you pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, today I choose to place my faith in you. I choose to believe. Not as a blind leap of faith, but as a, but as a careful, faith-based step into the truth revealed that, that first Christmas when God came to earth and became a man, grew up and died for me. I place my faith today in that Jesus. In Christ's name. Amen.